Right now, I invite you to uh, kneel with me if it's possible for you to do so. Let's have a, a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that you are a God of love and that you've created us as uh, free beings uh, with the freedom to make choices. And, and we choose Jesus right now. We pray for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and change our hearts, to give us hearts of love, to write your laws upon our hearts and our minds, uh, Lord, and, and give us the grace that we need to overcome. We believe, but help thou our unbelief. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus who came and lived a righteous life, who, who touched so many hearts and saved so many. And we pray that we may be able to, to aid him in his work of saving souls. We ask that the Holy Spirit will not only teach us how to love, but cultivate within us a love for the truth and to help us to share that truth with our families and with our neighbors our friends, and the world. And Lord, we thank you so much that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he's alive. He overcame sin. That gives us each hope. Hope that we too may overcome. We pray this morning, Lord, for those who couldn't be here. We pray for those who are sick and ill. There are so many, Lord. So many who are dying of disease. Those who are hurting I pray that the Holy Spirit will touch them in a special way. That you'll be very near to them. I think of Kurt. I pray that you'd be so close to him. I'm so thankful that he has given his heart to Jesus. I pray for Dusty's husband. I pray for those on our prayer list. There are so many, Lord, who need the love of Christ and need healing. Help us to aid them in any way that we can. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for this Sabbath day. I thank you that you made a day to spend with us. And I pray that you will have heavenly angels here. Be with each saint. That we may gain that taste of heaven that you so desire. And please forgive us our sins. Lord, may we turn from our sins and, and help hasten the day of Jesus' return. And please give me the words to speak today. These are solemn words. There's truths here that we need to understand. May I convey it in such a way that will bring glory to thy name. I pray in Jesus' name for these things. Amen. I've entitled this uh, particular study... Well, this would be part one. And those who know me, when I get into studying and preparing a message, oftentimes it turns into, you know, a series. I, that's not my intent necessarily, friends. But, but uh, we live in important times. And uh, uh, we need to understand the times that we do live in. I've entitled this study, A Great Tumult. And essentially it's based upon... Second uh, Samuel chapters eleven through eighteen. Um, you know, I never imagined years ago that we would still be here on this earth at this time. Um, but just because we're here now doesn't mean that 
we're going to be here very much longer. Isn't that the truth, friends? Amen? The work is closing up. It's closing up. And uh, and I want to state at the, the very beginning of this study um, that many of the people in Adventism, at least by my observation, friends, uh, who never figure out the issues that I'm going to present uh, will lose their souls. And I'm not being a, a sensationalist here. I'm not. These these are soul-saving principles here. Um, now, I did not say that everyone who doesn't figure out these issues will lose their souls. <laughs> don't get me wrong now. But that many Adventists who don't figure out the issues that we're going to study will lose their souls. It's just a fact. And you, I think you'll begin to understand it as we get into it here. And I pray that the Lord, by the instruction of the Holy Spirit, will help us all to see how dangerous it can be if we don't understand what we're going to study. And so I, I really pray for the, the Holy Spirit's help here today and um, in presenting this. Now, I want to begin by sharing a statement that will help us to be, I think, on the right side of this great controversy between Jesus and Satan, or at least give us a heads up to the main issue the devil will use uh, at the end of time here to deceive people. It's found in the Great Controversy, the book The Great Controversy, page 591. And here we, we read, Satan's policy in this final conflict with God's people is the same that he employed in the opening of the Great Controversy in Heaven. Now, this is a very important statement, friends. It's something we need to really contemplate here. She's telling us that the policy in the final conflict that he's going to have with God's people is actually the same that he employed in the opening of the Great Controversy. Now, what does that mean? You know, from the very beginning, Satan's object has been to overthrow the law of God. Isn't that true? And that's what his object will be at the end of time. It's going to be to overthrow the law of God. Lucifer wanted to change, and as I've studied this, I've come to this conclusion, I think that you would agree. Lucifer wanted to change the first commandment in God's law. And what is that first commandment? Well, in Exodus 20, verse 3, we read, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, see, that's what Lucifer wanted to change. He wanted God to change that and to allow him specifically to enter into the, the, the inner council with the Godhead. That's what he wanted. But God said no. How can a created being be in the inner council of the Godhead? So, that is the foundational point I'm going to be, be looking at here with you, friends. This quote out of Great, Contro Great Controversy 591. What is this principle? It's an attack upon God's law, but it's actually a little bit more than that, as we'll, we'll see um, as we get into this study. We're, we're actually we're going to look at, in miniature, 
the great controversy between Christ and Satan. That's what we're going to look at. The story of the great controversy, well, it's been told uh, to us on a human level um, in miniature in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And as we study this, I hope that you'll see the parallels because this is very remarkable to me. Um, I hope that you'll see the parallels in the examples that have been written down for us, well, who live near the second coming of Christ. And these parallels are to teach us a lesson and prepare us for what's coming so we may be found faithful. And I praise God for this. You know, sometimes I wonder um, why God does this. Why does He show this parallel or these parallels or the repetitiveness? And I think it's because we're just dumb people. <laughs> we like to forget things, you know. Um, used to, they didn't have to write anything down. They had it all, you know, before the flood, they had such a mind that wasn't that long since the creation. They they were remarkable people. But here today, we got to write things down, don't we? I don't we? know if it's that we're dumb or just we become very lazy. We become lazy? Well, yeah. We I I don't guess I mean dumb, but, but you know. Anyway, we we find these parallels throughout the Bible, and it's a repetition, and we need the repetition, or else God would never do it. Uh, but uh, um, I hope that you're able to see uh, that all this has been preparing us for preparing a generation that's going to stand at the end of time. You know, Jesus Christ is called the Morning Star, isn't he? And in Revelation twenty two sixteen, we see this. He says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He is uh, called the morning star. And in the book of Job, uh, you will find that the angels are also called morning stars. On we're going to look at Job chapter 38, beginning with verse 4. But remember that God was here uh, uh, in this debate, so to speak, with Job. And, and he's asking Job where he was when all things were created. Job 38 verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. <laughs> Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I want to pay, point you to, in particular, verse 7 there that we just read. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You know the Septuagint, that's the, the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. The Septuagint translates the phrase morning stars as angels of God. Angels of God. Angels, like men, are created beings. 
And it's in this sense, friends, that that they're also referred to as the sons of God. And don't you find it interesting that Jesus says that he's the morning star, and that morning stars are also referred to as angels of God or as the sons of God. That doesn't mean Jesus is an angel. But Jesus became a human being, didn't he? But Lucifer, and that's the Latin name for Satan before he was cast out of heaven, he was not just one of the angels. He was the chief angel. He was one of the sons of God. In fact, in his unfallen state, he was referred to in terminology very similar uh, to that of Jesus. Because he was also called a morning star. And one of his original names was in Hebrew, Halal. That's his name in Hebrew, Halal. And that word's found in the Hebrew Bible in Isaiah chapter 14. And Halal means the shining one, the luminescent one. We go to Isaiah 14 and verse 12. It says... How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? So we see there, son of the morning. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, the Lord said concerning this being, He said, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee, or rebellious sin. But his name was, and again, like I said, before before he fell, his name was Halal. But when you think of that, I mean, all this is really beautiful, isn't it? I mean, I think so. Halal, the shining one, the sun of the morning, the morning star. I think that's a beautiful name. Lucifer had a, he actually had a beautiful name. And that's just like God, isn't it? When He creates us, He creates things of beauty. Now, He wasn't called Satan, which means the adversary, until after His fall from heaven. Neither was He called the devil, which means a slanderer until then. God had given this beautiful being a beautiful name. And I think, I mean, would you expect less from God? Now, I want to start looking at some real parallels here. You know, I've often wondered how there can be so many parallels throughout the Bible when when God has created us with free will and, and choices were made by different people in different ages. It's just remarkable to me. You know, I believe that I've come to actually come to a conclusion as to how there are such parallels. And, it, and it's, it's been based upon my studies concerning who and what the church is that we've been looking at. That's when it dawned on me anyway. <laughs> and maybe you've already known or suspected this, but I didn't. Um, you've heard me say quite frequently when speaking on this subject of the church that there are only two spirits in the world. Isn't that right? The Spirit of Christ who is the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Antichrist. 
Thus, only two churches, remember, in our studies, the Church of Christ and the Church of Antichrist. Well, the truth is that you will become conformed to either one or the other of those spirits, friends. And that's what our choice is really about. Will we be like Christ or will we be like Antichrist? So throughout history, people were making that choice and then living as one or the other in that particular spirit. So we can see that the great controversy between Christ and Satan is in a very real way being played out in humanity. And from the fall, this was decided as Jesus made the decision to become human to save us. And He saves us by conforming us into His image. It's remarkable to contemplate and to think about and to study. And I could go on about that, but I need to continue with the subject that I, that I have at hand because it's really intriguing. And this is why I believe that there are so many parallels. Because God has a character and Satan has a character. And you have the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of Antichrist. And friends, when you make your choice, you're going to be conformed into that image. That's why we find these parallels. You see? Anyway. So God said that Lucifer, one of the sons of God, was perfect. And in the Old Testament, there is a king who also had a son who was perfect. The Bible says that from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25. But in all Israel, there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. You see, there's a parallel there, isn't there? And the full story, like I said, is found in 2 Samuel chapters 14 to 18. And, And again, I'll encourage you to read up on this parallel. And by the way, it too started with a great sin. When David had Uriah killed, like Halal, that name for Lucifer, Halal, this son of David also had a very beautiful name, Absalom, or in Hebrew, Abia Shalom. Have you ever heard of Shalom? So his name meant, my father is peace, or father peace. That's kind of beautiful, isn't it? You know, because of how things turned out today, we don't ever name our sons Absalom. Do you know many uh, sons that are named Lucifer today? (laughs) Those names aren't used. However, before the King James Bible was translated in the and the uh, translators chose to translate the word halal into the Latin word Lucifer, the name Lucifer was actually a very common name. And if you've read uh, church history, you may know that one of the church fathers' name was Lucifer. You see, Lucifer never meant the devil in the days of early church history. It meant the one that was the shining one, a shining star, the luminescent one. While in heaven, 
Lucifer went out from the presence of God and talked with the angels. And he proposed that though he was loyal to the government of God, he would improve the government of God if he could be placed in charge. And if you study 2 Samuel, those chapters 14 to 18, you'll find that Absalom did the very same thing against his father, King David. He professed for many years to be loyal to the government and he said, oh, if you could only make me a judge, I would make certain that you are taken care of and given justice. Lucifer promised the angels a better, higher, improved situation if they would follow him. He told them that they would be free to do anything they pleased. They would be actually more free. They would be just like God. Doesn't that sound familiar? You see, God is free to do anything He pleases. Isn't that right? From the youth's instructor, June 21st, 1900, concerning Jesus Christ, Ellen White says this, He is the eternal, self-existing Son on whom no yoke had come. You see, the angels could not come and pay the price for a fallen world. They were under the law of God. They were under the yoke of obedience to the law of God. But Jesus was not under any yoke, for Jesus was the law, as it is a transcript of His character. You see? The Godhead is not under any yoke, therefore. Because they are the law. That's their character. So the Godhead could do anything they pleased as they are the law. But the angels were not able to do anything they pleased. They were not the law. But they were under the law of God. Now, it wasn't burdensome to keep the law until Lucifer introduced the idea that they would be freer if they got out from under it. That was in heaven, right? Do you know Absalom did the very same thing with the people of Israel? He'd grab people, he'd give them a holy kiss, and he'd say, your cause is right. By the way, is everyone's cause right? No. But in heaven, Lucifer stole the affections of the angels. And we know between, to begin with, between a third and a, a half pledged allegiance to him. Absalom, the same thing. He stole the hearts, the Bible says, of the children of Israel. Lucifer publicly proposed, you see, to be loyal to the government of God but secretly he was trying to overthrow the government of God. And Absalom did the very same thing. Publicly, he was a true, faithful, loyal subject of David's kingdom, but privately he was trying to overthrow, overthrow his father's government. Satan wanted to displace God as ruler. Absalom wanted to displace David as ruler. And a controversy developed between Lucifer and the God of heaven. 
a controversy developed between Absalom and his father, King David. And this controversy went in, it went on for a long time. Now, we don't know how long it went on in heaven, but we can read, Ellen you know, White says that it was a very long time, from the great controversy, pages 495 and 496. God, in his great mercy, bore long with Lucifer. He was not immediately degraded from his exalted station when he first indulged the spirit of discontent, nor even when he began to present his false claims before the loyal angels. Long was he retained in heaven. Now, let me ask you a question and think about this. Why did it go on so long? I think it went on so long because God was merciful. He's a merciful God. He's a long-suffering God. But you know what happened? And, and this happens a lot. God's mercy and His long-suffering, uh, they were misinterpreted. In Absalom's case, the controversy continued for many years. David's mercy and his long-suffering were misinterpreted. And incidentally, if you attempt to exercise mercy in this world, your mercy will be misinterpreted too. You'll be thought of as weak. People will think that you don't have any backbone. But because of the mercy and long-suffering that was manifested in both those cases, both Lucifer and Absalom thought that it, if they persisted long enough then, they would get their own way. Lucifer thinks he's going to get his way and be the ruler of this world forever. Absalom thought he was going to get his way and be the king of Israel. <coughs> so I hope you're... Seeing that every point being presented so far has a direct application, really, for the end of time. And remember, there are only two spirits in this controversy, and you'll be conformed by one, my friend, or the other. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, the controversy in heaven developed into a civil war. The Bible says in Revelation 12 and verse 7, There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Civil war also broke out in the land of Israel. And hence we're coming, I believe, to some of the most important points that we need to understand. So. I hope you pay close attention here. <clears throat> i got a scratch in my throat. You see, in both cases, in heaven and in Israel, each side claimed to be loyal and true. If you had asked the people in Absalom's army, are you a true child of Israel? Are you part of Israel? They would have all said yes. The people that were following Absalom in his rebellion, they claimed to be loyal and faithful. And the people following David claimed to be loyal 
and faithful. In heaven, Lucifer's followers certainly felt they were being loyal and true to God, but there was only one side that was really true and loyal followers of God. Isn't that right? So the other side, although they professed to be loyal, were not really so. They were actually the enemies of God. Absalom was actually an enemy to his father David. And I'll tell you this, friends. It's one thing to look back and envision this happening, but when it happens right in front of our eyes, it's very difficult for God's people to see and understand. I run into this quite often. It is extremely important to understand that both sides made a profession of being true and loyal to God. Now, in white said that the devil maintained that he was faithful and loyal to the very end until he was cast out of heaven from the great controversy. Pages 498 to 499. Notice this. To the very close of the controversy in heaven, the great usurper continued to justify himself. When it was announced that with all his sympathizers he must be expelled from the abodes of bliss... Then the rebel leader boldly avowed his contempt for the Creator's law. He reiterated his claim that angels needed no control, but should be left to follow their own will, which would ever guide them right. Now as I read this, friends, think about parallels. Think about the time we're living in. Think think about the professions, what Christians profess today. Maybe the better way of explaining that. He denounced the divine statutes as a restriction of their liberty and declared that it was his purpose to secure the abolition of law. That, freed from this restraint, the hosts of heaven might enter upon a more exalted, more glorious state of existence. Isn't that the same argument he's always had? Isn't that what he told Eve? With one accord, Satan and his host threw the blame of their rebellion wholly upon Christ, declaring that if they had not been reproved, that's important, they would never have rebelled. Thus stubborn and defiant in their disloyalty, seeking vainly to overthrow the government of God, yet blasphemously claiming to be themselves the innocent victims of oppressive power, the ark rebel and all his sympathizers were at last banished from heaven. Now, what was the attack upon? Did you notice? That the attack was on the law of God. And to be reproved for sin really infuriated them. Can you see the parallels with the end time? You know, such false loyalty was also very mystifying, very confusing to the children of Israel, and it still is today. Today there is the true church and the professed church. And the true church and the professed church 
both make the same profession. And it's very difficult to differentiate. But it's not impossible. (laughs) But it's very difficult. And most people are very confused by it. But the end-time prophet makes a sharp distinction between the true church of God and those that profess to be the true church of God but really are not. She refers to the professed church as the nominal church or the nominal believers. And in her writing, she has a lot to say about the nominal church and the nominal Adventists at the end of time. For example, notice this statement. It's in Manuscript Releases, Volume 5, page 290. She says, War is coming against the remnant because they keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Well, there's a description right there, isn't there? We'll get to that in just a moment. She goes on, she says, Don't yield your sacred peculiarities which distinguish you from the world from the nominal church and backslidden Adventists. The nominal churches are in darkness and corrupt. Now notice this. This is the important part right here. She says, They have shut out the gifts God has placed in the church. They've shut them out. Take note of that. I'll get back to it in just a minute. In the last days, what's going to happen? The nominal church will claim to be the true church. They'll claim to be the remnant. But in the scriptures, the true church is distinguished from the nominal church as being the remnant, the elect, or the chosen of God. We've got to know what the scriptures say, don't we? They have distinguishing features that the nominal church does not have. See? You know, the truth is that when you have a counterfeit, the only way to recognize the true is to compare it to the counterfeit. You can't just look at the counterfeit and try to find the flaws. You have to have the true to compare it to. We studied ten features about the true church you know, in the last several months when uh, you know, are taking our look at who and what the church is. How does the Bible define it? What are the features of it? And I want to highlight two of them, two of them right now, as they're actually they're very appropriate in describing the true church at the end of time. In Revelation 12, verse 17, it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And notice it's the remnant that's being described here. And what we need to understand before we go any farther is this. How can you tell the difference between the true and the faithful and those who profess to be the true and the faithful but are not. How do you tell the difference? They have the same name, right? 
They profess the same faith, don't they? They profess the same religion. Which one is true and which one is nominal? And this is what's happening, friends, today. And this has really muddied the waters. Because you have two that profess the same things. Which one is true? How do you know? Let's go back to the beginning. In heaven, the time came when the members of the angelic host had to get on one side or the other, didn't they? They had to make a decision. They either had to choose for Lucifer or they had to choose for God. Don't ever forget that. There had to be a choice made, right? And the more I've studied this, the more I've realized that the choice was really, really it was a tricky choice. Because both sides, they claim to be true and faithful. And I've come to understand that there was only one way an angel could tell the difference. One side was faithful and loyal to the law of God, and the other side wanted the law of God. Specifically, at that time, the first commandment uh, changed. So those who were faithful and loyal to God said, No, we're going to stick with the government of God, with the law of God, just the way it is. We don't want it to be adjusted. And that was the deciding point. And I don't know of any other way that a decision could have been made. Because the final choice was over the law of God. And from a human point of view, it was even trickier in David's time than it was in heaven. Because David, well, David wasn't God, was he? He was a sinner. And it was well known throughout the nation of Israel at the time of Absalom's rebellion that David was a murderer and an adulterer. He had Uriah the Hittite killed by treachery so he could have Bathsheba as his wife, remember? All Israel knew this. And not only that, it was also well known that David had another son by the name of Ammon who had raped his own half-sister. And that half-sister happened to be Absalom's sister. And according to the Old Covenant, Ammon should have been stoned to death, but David didn't execute judgment on Ammon. So... Absalom had taken the law into his own hands and had justice executed on Ammon and had him killed. And that was also well known throughout the nation of Israel too, see. And I get a shudder when I study that story out. And I've asked myself what side I would have chosen because by popular opinion it appeared that Absalom was much more righteous than David was. I mean, if you would have said, Absalom killed his brother, they would have responded, well, he killed his brother because he was a rapist. He was supposed to be killed. And since David didn't do what he was supposed to do, Absalom had to take the law into his own hands because his father wouldn't do what was right. And so, friends, it was all very confusing because they were both lawbreakers. How 
would you have been able to tell on which side to join? Well, as you read chapters 11 through 18, you see that the vast majority in the nation of Israel joined Absalom. The vast majority did. From Patriarchs and Prophets, page 743. From the walls of the city, the long lines of the rebel army were in full view. The usurper was accompanied by a vast host in comparison with which David's force seemed but a handful. So how could you have been able to tell who was the true and who wasn't? Absalom, remember, he'd spent a long time sitting at the gate, acting as a judge. On the outside, he was professing loyalty to Israel. He was judging cases. He said, I actually need to be a judge. While he was doing that, he was gaining influence among all Israel. See, that parallels what Lucifer was doing in heaven with the angels, doesn't it? And both camps professed loyalty to God. Loyalty to God, loyalty to Israel. In this particular case, it was very difficult to tell which side to be on because there was a what appeared to be a legitimate case against David. He's not doing what he should be doing. Such an it was such an appealing case that the majority in the nation of Israel joined Absalom. So how could you have been able to tell who was the true and who wasn't in this situation? A choice had to be made. Well, friends, I know of only one way. In this situation, you could not have decided from the law of God because David looked like a worse sinner than Absalom. The only way I know that you you would have been able to tell the difference was through the spirit of prophecy. And that's important, isn't it? You see, Samuel, who was a true prophet, had anointed David as the king of Israel. And neither Samuel nor any other prophet had anointed Absalom as king of Israel. And by the way, you you could not have told which side was true and which was false by church organization either. Because one of the high priests went along with Absalom too. And if you were dependent upon the law of God or upon your church organization, you could have gone with Absalom. You could not have been able to tell who was the true church or who was the nominal church by either the law of God or church organization but only by the means of the spirit of prophecy. Remember, friends, the two attributes of the remnant we read in Revelation 12, 7. What is it about them? They keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
What is the testimony of Jesus Christ? Huh? We find in Revelation 19.10 our answer. Remember, an angel appeared to John. Comes to John. John kneels down to worship and he says, Don't do that. That's what verse 10 says. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is what? The spirit of prophecy. The only people who could have remained stable on the right side in the civil war between the true church and the the nominal church under the leadership of Absalom were those who had confidence in the spirit of prophecy. What do we read before? The nominal church rejects the gifts God gives to the church. Remember that statement? They have shut out the gifts God has placed in the church. I'll tell you, friends, in the controversy at the end of time, there will only be two anchors that can hold you. It will be the law of God and the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of Jesus. That will be all. And if you don't, you know, don't have those two anchors, you're not going to make it to heaven. And there was a civil war between the true remnant church and the professed, or we we'll say nominal, um, remnant church in David's time. Will it be like that in the end times? Yes, we see it today, friends. We see it today. Somebody denies any inspiration of God. They deny the Bible. They deny the, law, deny the law of God. They deny the testimonies for the church given by the inspired prophet of God. Do they belong to God's church? Even though they profess these things? How can you deny the Spirit of God and say that you are a follower of God? You know, there was a long there was a long time when you could not tell on which side the angels in heaven were on. But there came a time when war broke out, and every angel was forced to get on one side or the other. A decision had to be made. There was a long time when you couldn't tell on which side the sons of Israel were on. But there came a time when war broke out, and every single man was forced to decide on which side he was going to be. That person, that Israelite, he was forced to make it known publicly on which side he was going to be because the war was being waged between the remnant and the nominal church. And the spirit of prophecy shows that this is the way it's going to be at the end of time as well, friends. A decision is going to have to be made. Which side are you going to be on? Because a war is going to break out. From the Review and Herald, August 28, 1883. 
If we hope to wear the crown, we must expect to bear the cross. Our greatest trials will come from those who profess godliness. Think about that for just a moment. Our greatest trials will come from those who profess godliness. Let me ask you a question. Was Lucifer and those angels that were on his side, were they professing loyalty? Were they professing loyalty to God? Yes. That was their profession. They weren't trying to overthrow anything. In fact, Lucifer was saying he wanted them to be freer. See? What about Absalom? Was he professing to be more righteous than his father? Standing in to do the right thing when the law required it? Yes. Our greatest trials will come from those who profess godliness. She says, it was so with the world's Redeemer. It will be so with His followers. I should doubt whether I were a child of God if the world or even all professed Christians spoke well of me. Now don't miss the point she's making. She's not saying that it's wrong for people to speak well of you. (laughs) What she's saying is, She might doubt whether she was a child of God if the whole world spoke well of her. Because what did Jesus say? If the world hates me, it's going to hate you as well. She says those who are in earnest to win the crown of eternal life need not be surprised or disheartened because at every step toward the heavenly Canaan, they meet with obstacles and encounter trials. The opposition which Christ received came from his own nation, who would have been greatly blessed had they accepted him. In like manner, the remnant church receive opposition from those who profess to be their what? Brethren. I find that amazing. She says, the opposition which Christ received came from His own nation who would have been greatly blessed had they accepted Him. You know something, friends? We are greatly blessed when we accept the truth that God has for us. God sends us prophets for a reason. God's given the gift of His church, the gift of the testimony, His testimony, the spirit of prophecy. It's a gift to the church. Let me say it again. It's a gift to the church. It's to bless the church. In like manner, 
the remnant church will receive opposition from those who profess to be their brethren. I find, I'm telling you, I find that amazing. The opposition comes from those who profess to be their brethren. It comes from the nominal church. Because the nominal church and the remnant church claim that they are the same. They make the same profession of faith. They both claim to be loyal. Incidentally, in every single case, in heaven, in David's time, and at the end of time, think about this. Who is it that fires the first shot? Who is it that wages war? Have you ever thought about that? Who's the instigator? Who is the accuser of the brethren? Who initiated the battle in heaven? Did God initiate the battle? No. Who initiated the war with David? Did David initiate a war against his son? No. Who initiates the war at the end? Does the remnant church initiate a war with its brethren who are nominal? No. You see, God's church, whether it's the remnant or not, God's church is not a persecuting church. That's not God's character, you see. That's not the spirit of Christ. That's not their character. God's church, and specifically speaking in the end of time, God's remnant church does not take its professed brethren to court or to war. They don't do it. But the time came when every angel in heaven had to take a position. The time came in the life of David when every single person had to take a position. They had to take a side. And a time is coming, friends, at the end when every single person is going to have to take a side because a war is going on. It's going on right now. Some people say, you know, they're just going to be neutral. I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to stay right where I am and I'm going to watch. I'm going to see a great tumult, but I'm not going to know what it is uh, because I'm just, I'm neutral. Well, friends, if you say that, you're, you're going to be neutral. You've already made your choice. In Matthew 12.30, Jesus said, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And I'm going to tell you something. You will be judged as being one of the most dangerous enemies of God in the day of judgment if you attempt to take a neutral position. Because there really is no neutral position. And it's one of the things that God abhors, that He hates. It's a time of emergency when men of righteousness don't stand up for righteousness. They take a neutral position. And something you've got to understand. You're going to have to make a choice one side or the other when you see this great tumult. It's going on right now. You have to make a choice. Well, friends, I'm 
pretty much out of time here. I have much more to share, but I'm going to stop here and pick it up the next time we get together. I hope that you're seeing how important the subject is, how these parallels are teaching us valuable lessons, valuable principles, and that we can clearly see and make a, a righteous choice, the right choice, before this war comes to an end. Uh, next time we get together, I'll share much more uh, about it with you. Uh, let's have a word of prayer together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the many blessings you've already given to us today. We pray that they may continue. Not because we're worthy in any way, Father, but because Jesus is. We thank you so much for your holy word and the lessons that it has for us, the deep spiritual truths that are there. We thank you, Father, for the spirit of prophecy that you've given, this most precious gift you've given to those of us who live here to the end of time. And I pray, Father, that you'll be very near to us as a people, that we can see clearly the sides in the great tumult that is before us, that we make the right choice. That our choice will be Jesus and His true church. We thank you again for this Sabbath day and pray that we will be blessed. In the name of Jesus we ask. Amen.